everyone, it's Monique Mills here, the host of the Unpolished NBA podcast. And today this episode is a little different because a few weeks ago, I was actually a guest on someone's podcast. His name is Alistair McDermott. And the name of the podcast is The Recognized Authority. And for those of you that are interested in knowing how to get into the market and have your own authority on subject matters to be recognized and also monetized, I think you'd be interested in hearing this episode and some of my thoughts on that topic. There are certain things in business that are pretty universal. And then there's other things depending on the business that are more relevant. But I think that this episode is relevant to everyone who's interested in going from being an invisible expert to being a recognized authority in the market. Enjoy. So today my guest is Monique Mills. And Monique is a degreed electrical engineer turned serial entrepreneur. She's founded five companies with a focus on business innovation. She currently serves as the CEO of TPM Focus, her strategy consulting firm, and she is the president of Focused Innovation Group, a family-owned acquisition company. And Monique, I've been on Monique's uh, uh, podcast, which is called The Unpolished MBA, and um, I'm really delighted to have her on because I think she's one of the smartest people that I follow on LinkedIn. So Monique, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate that kind comment. Thank you. Yeah, well, I, I know I said I was going to start with a, another question, but actually, I want to I want to just start with the the LinkedIn thing. Okay. You post a lot on LinkedIn, and like we both know, there's there's a lot of crap gets posted on LinkedIn, and there's a lot of really good stuff gets posted on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just just wondering what you think about that, um, and how you think about what you actually post on LinkedIn. How do you how do you decide what to put up there? I decide what to post based upon the people that I help, what they need to know. And what they need to hear. And the thing is, a lot of times folks will hire me to tell them the exact same things that I post on LinkedIn. So (laughs) folks that are reaching (laughs) out for, hey, can you help me with this? Can I pick your brain? You know, those kind of things. So, you know, I I have a place for you to find those things, uh, including there is one of the the channels. So, yeah. Why do you think that people put up a lot of rubbish? Is it that people have bad taste or they don't know any better or, (laughs) you know, because there is a lot of rubbish up there. It's lazy. You know, it's interesting. Um, You have to really, especially as an entrepreneur, you have to really love the work that you do and be interested in it. And a lot of folks are really just interested in making money, right? The quickest way, the easiest way, the fastest way. And, you know, I'm not hating on them. But for me, it's that's of course you want to make money, but that's not the top of the priority list. It's just doing it quick, fast and in a hurry. Um, and so I think a lot of people just kind of copy and paste a lot because it's easy and simple. But also, uh, as you and I, um, you're probably aware, too, a lot of people hire um, freelancers and, and folks that just kind of throw things together up there for them to have activity. Um, and there's really no strategy behind it. Um, and so it's good enough to get some engagement because a lot of people are in engagement pods you know, where they have agreements with other people to support and like and engage on their posts, regardless of how bad it is. So that's what you're competing with. Yeah. And, and 
you know, I think about those engagement pods and, and sometimes I wonder if, if I should actually do that because, you know, I see people getting lots of engagement and they, I'm sure their numbers are much higher in terms of the amount of people that are seeing it because the algorithm likes it and all of that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And then sometimes I think, you know, I, I really don't want to get into that. I want to just do what I do, you know, yeah. um, and not, not focus on trying to game the algorithm and, you know, playing the system and having to go on other people's uh, and comment on posts I'm not really all that interested in. Mm -hmm. It's a time suck anyways. You yeah, know, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let me ask you the other question. So we were just talking beforehand about engineers. And so I'm not a real engineer. I'm a software engineer. So you're a real um, engineer. <laughs> I, I think that software engineers don't have to uh, go through the same um, uh, the same strict protocols uh, that <laughs> other types of engineers do. Um, bridges don't fall down if we make mistakes. Typically, uh, your your app might crash, um, but you know it's not not quite the same. But yeah, so so I, I am an engineer, but I think that this applies to experts as well. Yeah. Um, which is that I think that engineers and experts create things that don't make money, and and you agree with me. And so totally. why is that? Why why do we create these things that that don't make money? Because we like to create things. You know, and, and that's the thing, especially in, in college, um, I remember I'm an electrical engineer and it's actually fun. Right. And so we think about the utility of it by other people later. <laughs> and that's just kind of who, who a lot of us are just as people. Um, and and, I, and I'm not really being facetious with that because having done five years of engineering school and being, you know, at a school with like, you know, 25,000 students. There's some trends <laughs> that you spot, and that tends to be one of them. We like to create things that solve problems, but we don't necessarily think about it in kind of like, a, you know, a macrocosm kind of thing. Um, we look at it, what it could solve in our, in our little bubbles. And so we'll keep creating things and just keep creating, keep creating, and never think about the business model behind it. So how should we think about the business model? What, like, what do you think about when you think about that? Well, first of all, it needs to be serving someone in specific, right? And providing them what, and I, and I hate using these terms, providing them value. And I, like, it just sounds like the same old stuff everyone else says. And so I try to break it down differently, especially in my one-on-ones. But of course, publicly on podcasts, you got to be like politically correct and try to be as uh, as polished as possible. But, you know, I'm the unpolished MBA. So um, I'm, not, I'm just going to say it like this. Create something that people can't live without, that they're going to keep buying over and over again or keep accessing over and over again. And it's something that they really need and will pay for, whether they want to pay for it or have to pay for it it's going to be paid for either way because they need access to it or need to use it, you know, in their daily life. I, I think frequency of use is something a lot of innovators and entrepreneurs um, forget about too. Um, you want to create something that people just need over and over again, not a one-time thing. But looking at business models, back to your question about business models, most engineers... We were never taught about business models and how things are supposed to make money. We were taught how to create solutions. And so that is who we are. I went back to get my MBA like 12 years into my career and a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is how people make money? Wow. And the thing is, engineers make enough to be comfortable. So we don't ever, we don't really think, and you're making more money than most people in the world, especially in the U.S. 
as an engineer, you're making more money than most people in the world. And so you really have no incentive to keep going down this, this rabbit hole of understanding business. But as a curious person as I am, um, I really wanted to understand the money side of things more than just, you know, in my, what happened in my bubble of engineering. And so that's why I went to get my MBA. And literally week one, they, they dug right in. And I was like, whoa, I was glued to class, you know, for the next 18 months. And, you know, if that's who you are, go for it. But not all engineers want to be business people and that's okay. But at least know what, what, where your strength is. Yeah. And it's really interesting that, that you say that because um, you've made me realize that I was in that bubble as well. So I was doing software engineering in, in, in college and, um, and there was, there was, there was this bubble that I was in that um, where technology is good and clean and useful and business is bad and evil and negative and, you know, unethical and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and so I never would have considered, you know, um, I never would have been considered being self-employed or you know, being a business person. Mm -hmm, <laughs> it would absolutely. have been, it would have been literally laughable, you know, um, <laughs> it just, it didn't, it didn't occur to me at the time. And, and it's, it's, um, it's strange, but like it took, it took me quite a while to come around to that and, and realize, you know, that if I embraced, um, learning about business and business models and all of this kind of stuff, that that would be really, really useful for me. Yeah. And in fact, I completely flipped, um, to the point that I, I was at, um, an, an award ceremony that I was running for my local, um, my, my local kind of region. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I was organizing this and I, I actually said, you know, can I have everybody who's an employee here, um, please give a, a round of applause to their boss. Um, because they're the, they're the heroes here who are taking the risks, you know, uh -huh. and I, I really believe that small business owners are heroes because yeah. they take risks, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and it's it's a whole different ball game when you when you're doing that because you know somebody else's mortgage is dependent on you. That's correct. <laughs> you know? So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think I think um, I, I do want to make this though. I do want to make this conversation really useful for the people who listen to the podcast who are independent consultants. Yeah. And like um, Monique, you're a super smart person. I like I know that from yeah. talking to you and from uh, reading your your posts on on LinkedIn. Um, the you you have a like you seem to have. Uh, like m more than really embraced your knowledge of business and gone deep. Like it's not just an MBA, MBA that you have. You've you've yeah. you've founded five companies. Mm -hmm. Like what is it that 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 drives you um, to do that? And and um, can you can you just talk a little bit more about that? Um, about about the whole you know the the focus on business and and what what you get from that. Yeah, I, I think once I learned how people make money, that's what I keep saying. Um, I know most MBA programs prepare people to be successful in corporate environments, but I took the track for technology innovation. So we were focused on startups and where the future is going and creating a business from an idea. And so having had experience that, like I can spin up a business in a week, <laughs> design a business model, do the customer discovery, everything. And let me tell you what makes it so intriguing. It's actually an experiment. When you're springing up a startup from an idea, you start with a hypothesis, just like in science, you start with a hypothesis, but we call it a business hypothesis. And you go out there and you run tests and experiments. And 
that is the core, really, of, of, of who I am. So you design experiments, solutions to the problems that you find when you're doing your discovery, um, as we would say, research in the field. And being able to do that and design solutions and um, innovative things and do that over and over again and make more money than you could have ever made in your life <laughs> being just, you know, just an employee or, you know, um, and not that you didn't do, like I said, you do pretty well, but it's incredible the amount of value that you provide, not just to um, yourself, but to other people. The impact that I've had with working with hundreds of companies as an innovation consultant, right? Business consultant. And I work with mostly tech startups. It, it It's incredible because I meet, and I mean, the most brilliant people ever, most brilliant people ever that are trying to figure out this business thing and to be able to help, you know, funnel that vision into focusing on not just creating a product, but looking at it as who am I going to impact and how many people can I impact? It kind of brings out the emotional side of things, which I would just say as engineers, that's not how we're trained. We look at ones and zeros, black and white, you know, everything is very finite in our world. And so um, I'm addicted to the process. So that's why even if I'm not creating another business, I'm working with other people as they create theirs. Um, And my business, my consulting business revolves around helping, um, you know, TPM Focus revolves around helping those who are trying to um, create something um, innovative in, in, in a new industry. Um, and I, it doesn't feel like work at all. Yeah, and I want to I want to talk to you. you. You you say that it's a strategy consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you actually get clients for that business? Like, because you you seem to have built an authority business there. I'd, I'd like to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, you know what? It, first of all, everything happened. Everything, and I and I had I hate to say by accident, but I didn't plan to become a consultant. That that wasn't in my plan. Of, I'm an engineer. So when I went to get my MBA, I really thought I really my initial plan um, and even was in my application was that I'm going into sustainability and I'm going to use the combination of what I know in engineering and apply it to people, profit and planet. Right. That was what I wanted to do with it. And um, the 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 main thing that um I did when I started learning was I started executing right away. You know how some people do their MBA and they wait till they complete it and then they start trying to do little things and at work and, uh, you know, maybe little things. I didn't do that. I, I literally I quit my job and I started working on a tech startup that was my initial company right away. It was one of it was going to be our capstone project, but I ended up um, just starting it as a business on the side and when you learn, implement, learn, implement literally daily and weekly, you learn at the fastest rate possible, which I didn't know that at this time. Um, I was just trying to get this business spun up because I'm like, hey, you know, I've quit my job. And by the time I'm done with this program, I want to have a business set up. Uh, <laughs> so, so. Um, no pressure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I guess I like that kind of pressure. Um, But in that process, people would, like in my program, uh, I went to Georgia Tech, 
Uh, people say, how do you know this stuff? Because I started bringing even more value to the classes. And they were like, how do you know this stuff? I was like, oh, because last week, this, this, and this. And then if you meet with this person, you go there. And then this person does this. And then, and I knew marketing and sales roles and how the developer, you know, comes into the process, setting up your requirements for that. And like all of these things, they're like, how do you know that? It was to the point where my professors were sending people to me and say, oh, you're starting a startup? You should talk to Monique. And that's really how it started. People would show up in the local Starbucks because I used to go to class every weekend. It was a full-time program and I would go Friday through Sunday. And I would go be at Starbucks before class in the evening, um, just doing homework and stuff. And folks would show up and say, hey, professor so-and-so said, come and talk to you. I'm think I have this idea. I'm working on this or that. And that's, that's why I say it happened by mistake because what people were showing up every week and I'm like, listen, I'm trying to get homework done. So you can't show up here every week wanting my, you know, expertise on what you should do. Um, and I started charging and it was just a random number. I pulled out the air and I was like, oh, you know what? Uh, if you decide to come back, it'll be a hundred dollars. And people literally would show up with cash. And then they would say, can I have one more hour? And they would take out another hundred dollars. And I was like, oh, I guess I am saying something that's valuable here. And then they would send people and say, yeah, so-and-so said they met with you here. And that's really how it had. And I was like, well, let me set up like a, 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 a calendar link so I can just give it to people. And Calendly, which a lot of people may be aware of now, it's, it's a unicorn startup that's here in Atlanta. That's when I first started using them. I created a free uh, scheduling link really because of that kind of demand. And I needed to control when people would just show up standing in front of my table. And from there, you know, I had my own tech startup. I got, I got selected for a private casting of Shark Tank. This wasn't a long line waiting outside. It's like an angel investor knew, knew I was working on. He had met me before. He knew the producers there. He told them they needed to talk to me. Like all of these crazy things was happening so quickly within like the first eight, nine months of my startup. And I already had the product because I did my own architecture. You know, all these things that I was able to do because I had the engineering background. So things moved really fast for me. And so I got in, and I got in the community. I would... I put 15,000 business miles on my car the first year of having that tech startup. So that goes to show you, I, if I needed to meet with the venture capitalist to understand more about what they're looking for, if they want to fund the business and all of that, I, I drove. They needed to meet at 730 because they had a not, I drove, I went. Um, a lot of people are not willing to do that. Um, so what ended up happening, like, wow, you're really smart. People would say something to you. I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'm just learning this stuff. I'm just doing it, you know? And I want you to tell me why I shouldn't have left my high paying engineering job to do this. I actually don't want your money. I want, I have my own money right now that I'm, I'm using to build this business. I would love for you to tell me why this is the dumbest thing ever. And that's how I approached everyone to help me. And I learned so much from these more experienced people. They started sending people to me. So now I got professors, venture capitalists, tech startup at um, incubators, accelerators, ex you know exited entrepreneurs that has comp that have companies that have come to them for like angel investment. I'm like, hey, how about you talk to Monique and let me see what she thinks. And so it kind of grew organically from there. And I would just do it here and there as I would put that money into my tech startup, you know, to keep it going. Um, some without hitting more into my bank account, but. Um, yeah. And so I started, I really started that way and it just kind of grew. Yeah. It, I mean, it's an amazing story. It, it sounds to me, I mean, 
like clearly you're a very smart person. It, it sounds to me like you work bloody hard as well. And that that's a big part of it. <laughs> I do. It doesn't when you're doing it. This sounds like such a cliche. When you're doing it, it doesn't feel like work. But I can tell you that during that time I was doing my MBA and building this tech startup, you know, at the same time, it was exhausting. I wouldn't advise what I did for anyone because I also have a family. I'm somebody's wife. I'm two little people's mother, you know, so I run a household and, you know, I have commitments to my church and, you know, and I'm doing the, you know, community thing and school. And so I literally survived off of like four hours of sleep most times. And that is not sustainable. And so when I tell people, why did I cut my journey short and exit my company? I licensed it to a small business. Um, And it's because I was really burnt out. I did not realize how much it took out of you to do this entrepreneurship thing. And also when you're building an innovation, right? Something that does not exist that you have to find product market fit for, like you're really starting at the ground. And it takes a lot more effort um, to get something going. And so, you know, lessons learned. Yeah, it's interesting because... I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would want the success that you've had and that they would look and say, well, you know, I would be prepared to do that hard work if if I could get there. So, you know, finding the balance between that and burning out and, um, you know, it not being sustainable. I think that's that's what a lot of people are trying to do. Um, I know a lot of people who listen to this are um, are still working on hourly rates on projects. And so if they stop working they stop getting paid. And that's one of the things that, you know, that I encourage people to do is, is disconnect and move to fixed price projects and things like that, you know? So, so I really like the, um, you know, uh, asking, asking people, you know, why is this dumb? Why is this going to fail? And and just being kind of embracing, embracing the the negative feedback on, on your work and looking for that. Mm -hmm. I also think it sounds to me like a big part of your success is the acceleration effect that you that you had in play? You you did things very very quickly. You moved very quickly. Um, I I sometimes think that there's more benefit to moving fast than than we we realize that you know um, releasing podcast yeah. episodes more often or writing blog posts more often or you know having more calls with people um, that actually moving faster can have these positive effects that are kind of outweigh the outweigh the you know um it doesn't 2x what you get it 10x is what you get because you move faster so do do you think that acceleration was was important to you i do i i believe that also being present so this is the hard balance you know a lot of people um that want to get into the startup world are not 20 something they're not drop college dropouts that are, you know, trying to figure out this life at the same time as figuring out business at the same time as figuring out who they are as an adult and a person. That's not the majority of startup founders, regardless of what folks see. And actually, that is not the majority of my clients. Most of my clients have had a very lucrative career as whether it's engineers, lawyers, all types of things, you know, um, VPs at companies, and they're in their 40s plus trying to figure this out. And I was still, I was, I was younger than that, but not in my twenties. Right. And so, um, it's, it's one of those things where when 
you're that age, you, you may have a family, you may have kids, you may have different things. And then, you know, depending on the, the roles in your household, you may carry more burden than your partner, things of that nature. And that's why I survived on four hours of sleep, because I, I, I was trying to keep everything um, the same for everyone, especially in my household, because that comes first for me. Um, so what I did, and I, and I know everyone can't do what I did. I know that. Um, and so I, t- I try to tell people who want to know my story and say, I want to do exactly what you did. I'm like, no, you don't have, like, we have different gifts and things we bring to it. Um, and I say, we have different stacks, right? We have different resource stacks, technology stacks, you know, money stacks, right? And so I had a part-time nanny. I had someone that could come to my house when I went to class, make dinner for the kids, clean up the kitchen. And then when my husband came home from work, you know, hand things over to him. I had someone that could take the kids bowling into the park. Or the other thing was, um, sometimes I would take the kids with me and they would see me. They would sit at another table. And this is the funny part. (laughs) A lot of people, um, that are, you know, in the area who know me have seen this. Um, but, uh, you know, many people don't know this, but I would bring them with me. And I remember they were still in elementary school. Um, and I bought them each little, little blazers. So my son and my daughter had little business blazers and my, my kind of, uh, brand really at that time was wearing a blazer and jeans. And so my kids would have on their little blazer, they would go sit at the table in a coffee shop with, you know, with their iPads, laptop, order hot chocolate, whatever. And they would see me at a table either across the room or nearby, and I would be conducting business. And so I did the best I could to blend in everything. And, you know, a lot of things that I did with business development, making calls, a lot of times they would be right there in the room. Um, you know, or nearby. And so they would overhear because what is important to me, not first and foremost, was my family. And I tried to keep things as normal as possible for them. And I know everyone can't do that. Uh, so, so, you know, everyone can't dress their kids in blazers and take them, you know, dress professionally as, as you know, seven and eight year olds to business meetings. Right? But, but wouldn't um, it be awesome if you could? <laughs> <laughs> right. But see, they, they got it. I trained them. They, they sat at the table. They played their games. They did whatever until it was time to go. And they would, all right, let's go. So you just got to be willing. You got to think through, like, how am I going to do this? And the, the time that I put into thinking about how I was going to do it um, was just as equally um, was one of those things like with what I said with doing the MBA, I would think about or learn how I'm going to do it and then execute right away. And that's, that's why I was able to have that kind of fast, you know, moving execution because I'm not If you have any questions for me that you'd like me to answer during just, the just show, just do it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Text you know, me. Yes, text me. At yeah, 470 yeah. I, I like 400 that. And, 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 and that's 470 I, I like to take an experimental approach to, to marketing and I'll answer to the it podcast. On the show. I mean, this podcast started kind of as an experiment. It was um, it was low risk. I figured I, I knew what I wanted to do, but it was still an experiment. I said, I'll see how it goes. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, but I think it's important to to take those kind of risks because I think if you take no risks, you're, you, you know, your, your business eventually stagnates and dies because... You know, business is is risk taking. So um, I think it's good to try and make those educated risks. But uh, we do we do have to take risks. You know, we do have to try things. And it's a lot of things you just won't know. No one. And I always say this. I don't know. I know. I don't know everything. I do know a lot of things about 
a lot of different topics. You know, if you look at my resume, you're like, wow, she used to build power plants? Yeah, I did. I used to build power plants for Siemens all over the U.S. Um, I also built software. You know, I also built buildings, campuses, you know, <laughs> so all things in between. And um, but I don't know everything. And I know my limits. And that's where consultants, that's, see, this is one of the, the things that I talk about with consultants, those that are in my, in my, in my network. Um, some people, they want, they, they want your expertise or whatever it is that, that you provide, but they're all like, oh, it's going to cost me this. Like, I don't know if I have the money and, uh, you know, and consultants actually accelerate your progress. Yeah. People who don't understand that aren't ready to work with you. That's that's a good point. Is so I mean, is that like I've I've heard people talk about different uh you know, different uh, ways of summarizing what we do and um I think Brad Farris says, you know, what we really provide people with uh, provide our clients is confidence. And and that's certainly one way to think of it. And acceleration is another one. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite interesting. You know, what we provide is acceleration. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, what advice would you give to somebody who is building a consulting business? Well, so this this may sound controversial, but um, <laughs> I'm actually a fan of one of these rule of thumbs that uh, that I've heard, especially if you're under a million dollars a year. It's like having a concentration. And this is what you talk about. Right. Um, like be willing to sell one product or service or whatever it is to like one avatar customer um, using one marketing channel. Right. Really focused, tightly focused. Simplify it. You know what? And then you definitely need to simplify your offering, like especially in the beginning when you when you offer you again. I know how to paint, draw, do hair, build buildings, code, like copyright. Yeah. I can listen, raise children, um, event plan. Uh, I could do financial models, you know, like the list goes on. There's no way I'm going to offer all of that to people. Right. So I think people really, ha- especially when you're a technical person, I understand how you have all of these things that you may enjoy doing, but don't give it to everybody. So minimize it so that you can create an offering that's understood by the market. Right. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And it, I, I think that I think that there's a tendency to want to, you know, throw mud at the wall and see what sticks, like try everything. And, you know, um, so what, what, what can you do for us? Well, here's the 85 different things we could do. Um, but I, I think that it, it, there's a lot of different things that happen. You can, um, you can sound desperate. You can sound unprofessional. You can sound like you, you're spreading yourself too thin. So you're not truly an expert in anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's the, that's the problem with that. But it, it goes against the, our, our, our subconscious mind is, is telling us, our, our, our reptilian brain is telling us, you know, you can't niche down, you, you can't, you know, you need to cast a wider net. And uh, so we're trying to fight against that, you know, that, um, and it's trying to protect us, you know, that's what it's trying to do. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, it ends up not serving us in, in that way. Yeah. So, yeah, so simplify, simplify. I, I like the one channel, one product, one customer avatar. I, I like that. Yeah, that's 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 mm-hmm. a good way to put it. It's controversial. Some people are like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think that this audience, if they've listened to me <laughs> talking about specialization, they're probably already on that train or at least consider, <laughs> considering it. Um, what, so uh, what, what else? And apart from the niching down thing, is, is there anything else that you see consultants doing that they probably should stop doing? Uh, charge, charging by the hour. 
That's number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you charge by the hour, you're basically putting a value, a number, a dollar figure on the value you can provide in an hour. And it's not accurate. Alistair, you're a software engineer. You can develop things. What you can accomplish in an hour can make me millions. Why would I only pay you 175 bucks for that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah, it's 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 because I, I think it's because it's an easy way to charge and people it's start lazy. out because I'm not going to use yeah. the word easy. It's lazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's the default, you know, it's the default yeah. mode. Everybody starts out that way. Mm-hmm. But I think you got to move away from it pretty quickly. Pretty quick. Yeah. yeah quickly and at least move to fixed price projects right or maybe like productized services right um and i I had ron baker the the author of value pricing on and um he talked about you know value pricing and and how how, you know how to do it like even he said you know value pricing is very difficult to do but if you can make it work it, it can be a very lucrative way to, to do it. And it's, it's also a very fair way to do it where you charge for the value of what you're providing. Absolutely. And that can mean, you know, 10 or 20 xing your prices, uh, depending on what you're doing. But mm-hmm. you do that in collaboration with your client and, and they understand why you're doing that. So I, I think that that's a good way to go. And uh, if you listen to my conversation with Jonathan Stark and Ron Baker, um, earlier on in this uh, in the in the podcast um probably Jonathan Stark was actually episode number 2 I think Ron Baker was about 40 or so uh, okay. but I'll link to those in the show notes but yes they they both talk about value pricing was there anything that you wish you knew before you started yeah i wish i knew that sales and marketing was the most important thing after you have a product or service to sell yeah me too yeah i 100% <laughs> agree with that <laughs> there's no question you see how quickly and easily i answer that question yeah there's yeah no doubt about it yeah um but being the person that i am see i hate not knowing stuff i, I don't know mm-hmm. if there's anybody else that's listening so you know how you're talking about we were talking about accelerating um getting things done what i used to do is like i, I had this one um well a few books that i'm like oh i really need to understand this before i decide this portion of my business model when i was doing my software company and i would literally i taught myself to speed read doing the mba so that i could read faster and, and consume Zoom, um, but also understand. So I taught myself that before doing the MBA and it just got better and better. And so if there was something I needed to know, I don't have time for booking, um, trying to get someone to meet with me and then maybe I can meet with them three weeks from now. Like I don't have time for that. So I would literally find the book in the library. And there's this one book in particular that it explained the business model of Groupon. I, I tell this story to my clients all the time. And I literally read that book in two days big book. And I read it, read it. I was like, oh, 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 yep, yep. I learned this. I know that. Mm-hmm. And it helped me not make the same mistakes that they made, you know, early on in, in the process. So when we're, when we're talking about, you know, value pricing as well, you know, it's one of those things where you help people avoid a lot of the landmines, a lot of the false starts, a lot of the wrong paths, rabbit holes, all of that, which accelerates things for them. Yeah. Back to acceleration. Yeah. And, and it, it's like, I, I talk to people about mistakes and making mistakes and I think it's a really important way to learn, but it's also nice to learn from other people's mistakes mm-hmm. so that you don't make those and, and that you can move quicker. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I agree with that too. In terms of sales, I know that's something that engineers and experts, consultants find difficult to do mm-hmm. sales. 
Um, do you have any any piece of advice for for people who find selling difficult, or maybe even they find it kind of like a little bit icky or something trying to sell because they're yeah. often selling themselves? Yeah, well, everything is sales, right? Even even when you're going out for job interviews, see, no one ever ever gave us as, as technical people this kind of perspective, and I think sales should be taught in every college, like period. I'm, I'm, I don't care what major it is. I think every person needs to understand what sales is and, and value proposition and all that stuff. But um, sales is just having a conversation. There's nothing, nothing icky about it, especially when you start with just trying to understand and know people. Like, stop trying to push your product. I'm like, okay, I just want to understand your, 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 your challenges and things that you enjoy. Like, that's it. Just understand that sales is a conversation. So, you know, I was just talking about, I read the book to read the, to learn a business model real fast because sales and marketing is so important. And I learned that I was in early, I was like, Oh, I went and did all kind of sales training, read every book practice on my, like my kids, I would be like, all right, guys, <laughs> you know, daddy's at work. Let, let me, let me practice this on you. And they'd be like, Oh, that sounds good. Like I would literally do role playing and script writing and all of that. Like you have to really put yourself into it till you're comfortable with it. I think the world is going to be in trouble when you let those kids loose because oh. they're going to, they're going to like rule the world. <laughs> Wait, we're, I have one who is actually completing her first semester of college at Stanford and she's a rising junior in high school. So, wow. um, yeah. yeah. So she's doing pre-med classes. Um, and so that's the thing. It's like, I, listen, you, you, I, I only have my little bubble. Right. I don't have family nearby, it's just kids and the husband. And unfortunately, a lot of <laughs> what I needed to do and who I need to practice with fell on them. And somehow they all benefited, I guess. But um, that's that's the important part of like learning things really fast to the point where you're comfortable with saying it, with doing it, with rehearsing it. And even with my client and I say get help. With my clients, and I hire people too, and I did sales training programs, and I practice, like I said, I practice, but even with my clients, I'm like, so how did that sales call go? You know, because my company helps align sales, marketing, technology, and customer success with financial goals, right? So everything has to be in alignment. So they say, okay, I have this call with the customer. Okay, so I'll ask them, how did it go? Would you say, oh, it, it went fine. Okay, well, Let's role play. Tell, tell me what you said. And, and Alistair, I literally would eat them up. And I'm like, no wonder you're not closing deals. This is awful. And I'm not even the pro, pro sales trainer, expert, whatever. I just know how to sell. And I didn't know that, by the way. I was told that I could sell by two angel investors that wanted to invest in my company because I had a sales team. This is the craziest part. Okay. I tell people, learn from my mistakes. I had a sales team for my tech startup and there actually ended up being um, six people and I was out selling them. I learned you needed to actually set up a sales organization, train them, this and that other. I didn't know that at the point. It was just people who were excited to be along the ride with me and wanted to do something. So sales is where I need the help. And the one of the angel investors said, I, I think you should sell your own product. I, I think you need to get rid of everybody else. And then the other angel investor said, hey, how about I go on a sales call with you, with, with one of the customers that want to meet you face to face? And I said, yeah, sure. And I brought, I brought them along 
was like, you are one heck of a salesperson. I was like, really? I never saw myself that way. But like I said, I practice with the kids with it, but my heart still jumps out of my body because that's not who I am, right? It's who I have to become in order to fulfill my ultimate purpose. Even this podcast and being this talkative, I'm an introvert. Like this is not what I do all day, every day. I'm an introvert like most engineers, but most people find it hard to believe because I understand the way I need to communicate in order to have maximum impact in this world during my time here and what I'm supposed to be doing. And so if you need to get help, you need to practice, you need to hire people, that's what you need to do in order to accomplish your purpose here on earth. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I got help with this too. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, um, I so I'm naturally an introvert as well. And, and a lot of people who meet me kind of uh, would be surprised at that. Yeah. But uh, when I was 15, I bought a book called How to Make Small Talk so that I could learn how to interact with other human beings. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Well, that's that's the again, it's the engineer's approach to, uh, you know, to personal relations. We so. can learn anything, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Monique, do we have five more minutes or do we have to wrap it up? Because I have a few more questions I want to ask you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. OK. Um, first is, what is the number one tip that you'd give to somebody who wants to build their authority? Oh, gosh, definitely. Um, first of all, remain encouraged, because every time you post, everyone is not going to respond or engage with it. But remaining consistent, you know, as you share valuable information that's entertaining and maybe informative, um, but remain consistent in doing so. Because if no one knows what your messages are or are aware you even exist, it doesn't matter what service you provide, how smart you are, you know, what you can do for them if they don't know about it. So that's that would be my top advice. Cool. I love it. Um, what about a business mistake? Is there a business mistake or failure that you can tell us about? Because you sound like you've had a lot of success, but oh. I'm, I'm sure there's been a few. Oh, it's tons of mistakes. I told you about the one with hiring the salespeople. <laughs> 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 I mean, that, uh, and so a lot of the things I, I, I post and I tell people this, even on my LinkedIn, I'm like, listen, I'm telling you this because I made the same mistake. You know, but you have to be a person that's willing to correct it right away, not fight against, you know, people who are trying to help you and think, oh, they don't understand. They just being a hater, <laughs> whatever you may say. But I would say for me, especially when I was um, first getting started, I, I did not know how important sales and marketing was. Um, and so understanding to get that that under that that in very early um, but the, the main thing is, is like what you don't know and you don't have time for, you don't have the willingness to learn, hire somebody like either you're going to do this or you're not going to do it. I see yeah. so many businesses and, and I call them zombie startups. You know, they exist. Businesses exist, but they're not. There's no transaction involved. There's no customers, no revenue. They're just having conversations and telling people they're an entrepreneur. But who are you providing value to? And what value are you being provided? So um, I can just really, all of that really goes back to understanding sales and marketing um, and that all of that involves communication with people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's what I, I really love about when you follow an authority style business model, it makes those conversations much easier because 
the sales conversation, the communication, it's much easier in part because people already know what they want to talk to you about. So you don't have to do the hard yards. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is there a business book or resource that's been important to that you'd recommend, particularly to somebody who's a consultant? Oh, man. So I, I would say I, I have so many different books and there's there's actually one behind me that I recommend to whether you're a consultant or tech startup or whatever it is. Um, it's called Where to Play. And I know Sharon Tall is one of the authors um, but it's called Where to Play. And so the, you know how we were just talking earlier about how people um, don't, they have too many things that they offer or can offer or too many people they want to serve and these different markets and all. It's like that, that book, Where to Play, helps you really fine tune who you're, you know, you're going to serve and why. What makes most sense? And so I recommend that book to quite a few people. And it's actually on the shelf behind me. Cool. And that's uh, Where to Play by Mark Gruber and Sharon Tal. And I'll, yeah. I'll link to that in the show notes. Awesome. And what about fiction? Do you read any fiction? Do you have Do you have any downtime? I do. Um, but I, I tend, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a sleepy head. So <laughs> I just have to be honest. So I tend to fall asleep. Um, if, if no matter I'm, I'm how not really shocked because it sounds like you work very hard. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize how mental stimulation actually makes you physically tired. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, again, these are things I'm, I'm, I've learned over time, but yeah, I'd be like, well, I haven't went to the gym today. Like, why am I so sleepy? You know, um, but mental stimulation all day thinking and brainstorming and all of that is, it's actually very tiring on your body. But one thing that keeps me awake is the Ozarks. I don't know if you've heard of that show. I haven't. You're not the first person to say that. Yeah, I love it. And it was filmed here in Atlanta, by the way. So uh, I, some of the places okay. and stuff I recognize. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Um, I think Joe Jacoby, who is a, a recent guest, he's an Olympic gold medalist. I think he likes that show as well. So oh, there you awesome. go. <laughs> uh, you know, what? it's the craziest part about that show because my, my business mind is always going. And I'm looking at, I don't, for people who watch it, but I'm looking at the business model of the mobsters that are involved and the businesses that the main characters start and how they're able to like, yeah, you know, do all this just crazy stuff with money. And I'm explaining, oh, you know, I'm telling my family, this is how this goes under the radar because, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I'm still analyzing it. But um, I, that show, that's one show I've never fallen asleep on. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I, I said at the start of the show that you're one of the smartest people that I follow on LinkedIn. And I, I hope that the listeners, anybody who's gotten this far in the show, uh, realize that I wasn't uh, making things up. Um, thank Monique, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure to chat. Thank oh, and one, one last thing. Yeah. Um, I, I should I should ask you, where can people go if they want to learn more, if they want to find you? You know what? The easiest way to just to go to moniquemills.biz because you can link to my LinkedIn from there and all the different company stuff I'm involved in. So yeah, yeah Monique Mills, and that's M-O-N-I-Q-U-E-M-I-L-L-S dot biz. You can also go to dot com. It'll just send you over to dot biz because I own that too. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. And, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And, uh, and check out Monique on, on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the extra five minutes. I really appreciate that and really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to tell you guys about our new partnership with Aspire Ship. 
So for those of you who want a new career in SaaS, software as a service, the whole tech boom that we're experiencing right now, most of it is software as a service. For those that may be interested in transitioning out of their existing careers into a customer success role or a tech sales role, this is why this partnership is so important and so exciting. So if you'd like to find out more about it, give it a shot. Go to aspireship.com forward slash TPM focus. And that's spelled A-S-P-I-R-E-S-H-I-P.com forward slash TPM focus.